0: tonight we're going to second kings chapter five we were supposed to be starting a series on the tabernacle this evening but the teacher is down sick so i am subbing in for my mother this evening and uh, we are having a baptism at the end of the service we rejoice in that amen and so i'm gonna do a little teaching a little preaching about baptism this evening just to remind us why it matters and why it is that we do it the way that we do it. Amen. It's good to know what we believe. Amen. I was listening to Brother Woodward teaching during the week and he was speaking about that tabernacle in the Old Testament of how when the priests would finish their duties at the altar the brazen altar, great big place of sacrifice and gore and hands and probably more than just the hands covered in blood of that sacrificial animal. From there they would go to the brazen laver and plunge those blood-soaked hands into that water and wash. And I began to think about our high priest, of how not the blood of bulls or goats, but him being the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His own blood was shed for us, and he will wash us. And when we are baptized, there is that application of water and blood that releases supernatural forgiveness amen so we're going to look at that for a little while this evening second kings chapter five starting at verse one want to read about 14 verses now naaman the captain of the host of the king of syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the lord had given deliverance unto syria he was also a mighty man in valor but he was a leper the syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, a young lady. And she waited, or she served Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord... So God, was God, Lord, was her master, or Naaman. Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, who was Naaman, saying thus and thus, said the maid that is from the land of Israel and conversations happened and the king of Syria said go to go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel and he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment if anybody's concerned we don't charge that for baptism here this evening verse 6 says and he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. It came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so that when Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and all his authority, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. He was furious. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought. It's dangerous when we think too much. Behold, I thought that he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper or heal me of my leprosy. Verse 12, Are not Abana and Phapa rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then, he went, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. We've covered the story, but if you know much about leprosy, it was incurable. It was a stigma. It made you uh, unwelcome. It was kind of like Old Testament social distancing. If you had leprosy, nobody wanted to be anywhere near you. And no matter that he Naaman was a mighty man of great rank and position and, and, and achievements, his most identifying trait was that he was a leper. And uh he was he came to Israel and in his mind he had something of an idea of how things would happen, of the process that would take place, of this would happen and that would be said, and this would and so on and so forth, and he was furious because the prophet didn't even bother to get up from his dinner table come out and to see him but rather sent a message and he expected some kind of I guess recognition for his rank for his status wanted the prophet to come out and do some mumbo jumbo maybe and 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 make his leprosy go away he didn't like being told to do something that didn't make sense to him and he didn't like what he was told to do or where he was told to do it The Jordan River has a reputation for being muddy, not being a beautiful, pristine river, but a bit more like the Yarra in Melbourne where they say the bottom floats on the top. It wasn't your first choice of rivers. But after he calmed down and his servants spoke to him and he went down the seventh time and came up again, the Scripture says that his flesh was like a little child. It was pure, it was clean, He was made whole. And the title of this lesson, which I have taught before, is called The Difference Between the Sixth and Seventh Time. Amen. Water is significant throughout the Scriptures in the part that it plays in the deliverance of God's people. And many of us know these stories, but when God destroyed the earth in the flood, Noah and his family were saved by being obedient to the instructions that came from God. Scripture describes them as being saved by water, but it certainly didn't save those on the outside of the ark. Perhaps the best-known example is the parting of the Red Sea, when Moses led the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt. And much like the flood that Noah went through in Genesis, the water provided deliverance for the people of God, but judgment and destruction for the wicked. It separated the righteous from the wicked. In the New Testament, both of these Old Testament stories are referred to as being types of baptisms. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and I apologize for the quality of my slide this morning. I was chastened when I got home. It has been examined and is hopefully readable this evening. But 1 Peter 3 and 20 says, Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Then it says, the like figure, or this is an example, this is a parallel, whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's not a natural cleansing. It is a purifying of our souls by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote and he said moreover brethren I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud he's talking about in the wilderness and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea so these things that happened in the old testament the new testament refers to them as being baptisms or examples of baptism we also know that the Israelites crossed the Jordan River in a time of flood when Joshua led them into the promised land what has developed over the past two thousand years or so because of many different denominations and forms of religion that are included in what is widely called christianity is that baptism is the subject of so many opinions so many ideas so many views and and i'm not here to preach one denomination or one organization over another no denomination or organization will ever get anybody to heaven It is the Word of God. It is the Gospel. It is obedience to the Scriptures that makes the difference. What is also interesting as a part of that process, if you like, over the last 2,000 years is that there are people, groups of people that identify themselves as a particular faith whose ideas have changed, who once held a particular view about baptism, but through over time they have changed what they believe and they no longer hold to their original tenets of faith. There are two main areas that cause disagreement when it comes to baptism one of those is the mode or the manner in which the baptism is performed do we immerse in water do we sprinkle do we say in jesus name do we say in the name of the father son and holy ghost does the name even matter that's the first point of dispute the second one is baptism a necessary part of being born again or is it a secondary act some people say it's an outward sign of an inward change some people say it's some sort of a public statement of your faith others say that when you're baptized you become a part of the church these are the points where people struggle to agree it's it's interesting that if we will consider what the scriptures says, it's not hard to find a resolution to those questions so let's look at the first question sprinkling versus immersion the word baptize Baptized and baptism are all derived from the same Greek word, bapto, which means to immerse, to dip, or to cover with a fluid. The Greeks used the word when speaking of dyeing a garment, when immersing fabric into a colored dye to completely change the color of that garment. To give us some scriptural context, Mark 1 and 10 says, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him this is the baptism of jesus he was obviously under the water to be able to come up out of the water he wouldn't have come up out of the water if he was sprinkled there would be nothing to come out of he would have just had a few drops on his head but in acts chapter 8 and some of these verses we'll repeat as we go along acts eight thirty-eight to 39 in the the account of philip in the ethiopian eunuch it says and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Greek word, he immersed him in the water. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. If sprinkling was sufficient, there would have been no need to get out of the chariot. You just reach for a water bottle and uh, and sprinkle. The practice of sprinkling is found in the Scripture mainly when speaking about the sprinkling of blood in the sacrificial process. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. I've got a lot of Scripture tonight because it matters what the Bible says. My opinion on this is, is worthless. And if you won't be offended, your opinion is also worthless. But the opinion of the Word of God is what matters. First Peter 1 and 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Sometimes there is a connection that is attempted to be made between sprinkling in baptism and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The problem with that idea is that we are not sprinkled literally with the blood of Jesus Christ, nor are we immersed in it. It is a type that draws a connection to the Old Testament sacrificial process. I mean, Peter is drawing a direct parallel between what Jesus did on Calvary and the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament when the high priest would offer a sacrifice. Once a year for the whole nation. Further support of the fact that we are to be immersed rather than sprinkled is found in the scriptural parallel between baptism and burial. Romans six and four. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Colossians chapter two and verse twelve. Buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of god who hath raised him from the dead we understand that when somebody is buried they are put down they are covered they are not sprinkled they do not lie on the surface of the ground they are buried amen so when someone is baptized they need to be immersed amen that's pretty that's that's Perhaps that really only is a, the point of contention there is really in between what we might call the evangelical churches and the Roman Catholic Church. And again, I'm not attacking any particular faith. So I'm just looking at scriptural and doctrinal history. So the formula, the baptismal formula what we say and does it matter. The book of Acts, and we touched on this briefly this morning, is the only book in the scripture after the cross where you can read about people actually being baptized. Amen. You can read about baptisms in the Gospels, but that was John's baptism, John the Baptist's baptism, which the Bible tells us was a baptism of repentance. But the baptism for the forgiveness of our sins required the death of Jesus Christ first. And so after he died, was buried, and rose again, it is in the book of Acts where we will find people actually being baptized. And so it would make sense for us to consider what happened there. Fairly quickly, moving through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. When Peter was challenged with the question of men and brethren, what shall we do? It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, that's that death, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. That word also means forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Three verses later in 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls now in verse 41 it doesn't say they were baptized in the name of jesus christ but they were obeying the instruction that peter had just given them three verses beforehand i don't think it's a big jump to suggest that's how they were baptized in acts chapter 8 philip the young evangelist is in the city of samaria he is preaching the gospel the whole city is repenting and turning to the lord and in verse 12 it says but when they believed philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Three verses later in verse 16, it's talking about the fact that the people there had not yet been filled with the Holy Ghost, and it says, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, they hadn't got the Holy Ghost yet, Only, or up to this point, they'd been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Philip was preaching about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and the people that heard his preaching were baptized. Verse 16 clarified that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. A little further on in the same chapter, Acts chapter 8, verse 36. This is again Peter, Peter, sorry, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me? What's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, we read that, and we, we, that doesn't really impact us. But when the Ethiopian eunuch was saying this, we're in the first century. We're not looking at 2,000 years of Christianity. This was a man who for the first time in his life had heard about jesus in the chariot with philip when philip climbed up into the chariot and he said do you understand what you're reading he said how can i understand this unless somebody shows me he'd never heard of jesus he was reading from Isaiah, where it prophesied about jesus's death for us but he said i I don't how can i understand this and so the bible says that philip began at the same place and preached unto him jesus so at the end of that conversation, it does not tell us how long it was, but obviously along the way, Philip went from Isaiah chapter 53 into the present, told him that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died for his sins, that he'd been buried, and that he rose again. And, and he obviously spoke to him about he, in fact he needed to be baptized. Because the eunuch said, hey, I've traveled all the way across the world to Jerusalem, and they would not let me in. Because of his, both his nationality and his physical disfiguration, he was not allowed into the temple. So he's saying, all right, I need to know what stops me in this. You know, If I want to be baptized now, are there more rules that I can't get through? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, and this man under the, I believe the revelation of God said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. Now, some people will point at verse 38 and say, ah, it doesn't say how he, how he was baptized. It doesn't say Jesus' name there. But this is Philip who'd just been baptizing half of Samaria in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it stands to reason that he was continuing in the same pattern. Acts chapter 10 peter is in the household of cornelius the roman centurion acts 10 and 47 they were just freshly filled with the holy ghost and he said can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the holy ghost as well as we and he commanded them he did not suggest it he didn't say well it'd be a nice way to finish the day he said he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the lord and they prayed to him prayed they him to tarry certain days again it just says the name of the lord but peter is the one in acts chapter 2 who said you need to be baptized in the name of the lord jesus christ so it's i think it's fairly safe to suggest he did what he told them to do in acts chapter 2 one more passage in acts the book acts chapter 19 verse chapter 1 you see we're going through jews then we went to samaritans who were sort of half jews then we've gone to gentiles so the lord's covering all the bases So no one can say, well, it was just for the Jews in Acts 2 or it was just for the Samaritans in Acts 8 or just for the Gentiles in Acts 10. It's for everybody. And in Acts 19 and 1, it says, the Apostle Paul, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That's a good question to be asked. And they said unto him, We haven't even heard whether there be any holy ghost so he took a step back and he said okay well then how were you baptized and they said under john's baptism then said paul john verily or john truly baptized with the baptism of repentance saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him that is on christ jesus he said you did the right thing you listened to john he was preparing for jesus but then jesus came and then jesus died and was buried and rose again and so he said now there's more to the story In verse 5, it says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So even with just a few passages of Scripture, we can easily establish that there is a consistent manner in which the believers were baptized in the New Testament church. The skeptic might say, Well, why doesn't every single example specifically say in Jesus' name every single time someone was baptized? I mean firstly there was no other form of baptism when the new testament church baptized that's how they baptized if you go home and use google or or the library if you prefer to go old school you will look up the catholic encyclopedia it is recorded in the catholic encyclopedia that the formula was changed by the catholic church in the second and third century it's in their own history. And again, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying this is not what happened. When, when they baptized people, there was only one New Testament baptism. They didn't say, which of these options would you prefer? They preached the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so they baptized people in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The other principle is that the Scripture has a very powerful principle that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, that every word should be established. There are at least three examples here in the book of Acts where people were specifically recorded as being baptized in the name of the Father, sorry, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the, That's what you call a slip right there. That's because my next verse is Matthew 28 and 19. Hey, I'll get my license taken off me. Matthew 28 and 19 says, Go you therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost the apostles who were there at that time when jesus said those words who heard him say those words are the same apostles who just a short time later stood up with peter on the day of pentecost when peter said you must be baptized in the name of jesus christ so they obviously understood the instruction that jesus had given to that nobody interrupted peter and said whoa peter cool your jets, you've got it wrong, we need to discuss this, you've messed this whole thing up. They stood together with Peter in agreement and in unity. And they understood that when you, even when you reference this verse, there is one name. It is the name that is above every other name. It's the name of Jesus. It is not a contradiction, but rather it actually goes together perfectly when we understand it. Those disciples, those apostles, went on to underline and to emphasize the importance of, of that name acts chapter 4 and verse 12 they said neither is there salvation in any other there is no other option there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved there's only one name there is no other option there's only one name given if you want to be saved it's got to be with that name amen the second part of that question is is baptism a part of of the new birth is baptism a part of being saved or is it just some other optional extra john chapter 3 starting at verse 3 jesus is meeting with nicodemus jesus answered and said unto him verily verily or truly truly i say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god nicodemus saith unto him how can a man be born again when he is old can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born jesus answered truly truly i say unto thee except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of god titus 3 and 5 says not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration regeneration means being made new being reborn and the renewing of the holy ghost i think it's important to pause for two seconds and say we do not believe in baptismal regeneration you may not have ever heard that expression what in the world is that pastor baptismal regeneration is the belief that the physical act of baptizing takes away your sins simply just the action itself so in other words if i was to grab young tristan here who said i don't want to be baptized and because i'm a lot bigger than he is i throw him over my shoulder we climb up into the steps and i dunk him in jesus name whether he likes or not it works that is false It is not the action alone. It is the action that is by faith in obedience to the instruction of the Scripture. It is the commandment mixed with faith produces the result. It is not simply the action. As I've shared with you many times... One of the things about growing up in the church is that when you're a kid and you're in a swimming pool, you baptize your brothers and sisters and you baptize your friends. You you have a great, I don't know how many times I got baptized by the pastor's kids when I was growing up. We'd grab each other and dunk each other under the water. Not one time did one sin get taken away. Until I reached a point where the word of God and the spirit of God got a hold of my heart as a nine year old boy and I said, Lord, I want to live for you. And I repented of my sins and my pastor took me down to a little creek in Townsville and baptized me in the name of Jesus because faith mixed with the Word of God releases the power of God. That's what makes baptism effective. Amen. So we just wanted to clarify that. Going on about whether or not baptism is a part of salvation. Mark 16 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's pretty straight. Acts 22 and 16 is part of the Apostle Paul giving his testimony. He said, And now why tarryest thou? That's Old English. For what in the world are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So there is a connection between the name of the Lord, baptism and your sins being washed away. If you don't have your sins washed away, you cannot be saved. No sin is going into heaven. You've got to have it washed away. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Now you read the verses leading up to that list, all these wicked things, all these different kinds of sin. And Paul says, you guys can all take at least one of those boxes, probably a few more. He said, you are on that list. He said, but you are washed. You are sanctified. In other words, you are set apart as belonging to God now. You are justified. That means you're seen as right in the sight of God. How does it happen? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We read it before, but we'll read it again to underline it. First Peter 3 and 21. The like figure or the example, the flood, was an example of how baptism saves us now. It saved Noah. Why did it save Noah? What did Noah do? He did what God told him to do. We'd be in a lot less trouble if we just did what God told us to do. Amen. So let's try, I hope I haven't gone too quick, but let's let's try to wrap this up and bring this back to our friend Naaman that we started with and answer the question of what is the difference between the sixth and the seventh time. The prophet Elisha's instruction was against Naaman's culture. It was against what he was used to. Naaman didn't like someone else telling him, what he had to do he wanted an easy solution naaman didn't like the choice of the jordan river he wanted to use the river of his preference naaman's pride almost condemned him to being a leper for the rest of his life the number six and i know some of you are into biblical numerology i'm certainly no expert at it but the number six is often considered to be the number of man man was made on the sixth day of creation it is symbolic of man being the focus of man being in charge of himself the number seven is often considered to be the number of god or the number of completion on the seventh day god rested where the focus is on god and not on man amen and if a hebrew slave so if a hebrew became a slave for another hebrew whether it was through debt or difficult circumstances he was to work for six years and to be set free in the seventh year. So what made the seventh time that Naaman dipped himself in the river Jordan different from the sixth time was that he completely surrendered his own will and fully obeyed the instruction of God. I imagine in his, he's a man, I'm a man, I probably, you know, he's a bit like me, he got a bit hot under the collar. Stupid river, it's dirty, went down once. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Went down the second time. What am I doing? I'm making a fool of myself. Goes down the third time. I hope nobody's putting this on Facebook. Goes down the fourth time. Again and again, getting more and more frustrated, running Why in the world, you know, and his servants. His servant was probably standing on the riverbank thinking, I hope this works. Because <laughs> if it doesn't, the servant was going to be in trouble. But then when he went down on the seventh time and his head broke the surface of the water, As the water ran down off his face and the servants stood there in anticipation, they could see instantly that he'd been healed. Leprosy is a type of sin. The only way you take away sin is to obey by faith the instruction of God. Amen. There is something that happens when you will surrender your will and just do what God says. It went against Naaman's culture. It went against his religious tradition. It went against his pride. It went against his personal preferences. Now, as hard as it may be to grasp, God is not especially interested in your personal preferences. But when he fully obeyed seven times, not six, not five, he was washed completely clean and his skin became like a little child's. Amen. And so, if we, in much the same way, will put aside our traditions, put aside our pride, put aside our culture and our personal preference and be baptized in Jesus' name like the Bible says. We can fulfill what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 1 and 18 where he said, come now and let us reason together. saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen. You know, I have heard in the 40-some years I've been in the church, I have heard a lot of reasons and excuses why people don't want to be baptized in Jesus' name. They almost always come under one of these categories. Culture. It's against my culture. Religious tradition. You know, when you've been told something for a long time and all of a sudden the Word of God challenges that mindset, that's, that can be quite disconcerting. When you've, when you've been of the opinion that everything was right between you and God, and then somebody shows you these scriptures, and all of a sudden it's like, well, hang on a second. There's something I haven't done yet. There's something that I need to make right. It's, not, it's, it's about my salvation. That can really rattle you. And we understand that. And people will say, well, do, you know, if I've been baptized once already in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or in another pattern or another way, do I need to be baptized again? What, what did Paul do in Ephesus. He said to them, how were you baptized? Oh, we were baptized under John. Well, that was good. Have a nice day. He said, no, that's, that's a good start, he said. But there's you need to know more about this man, Jesus Christ. And when they heard it, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Pride is the biggest one. Because to be baptized, you have to acknowledge you've got sins that need to be washed away. We, a weird thing about human nature is, if anybody, if I said you raise your hand if you're perfect, I hope nobody would raise their hand. We, we've got one. Okay. The faith of a little child. That's okay. But we would also no, no, I'm not perfect. But then when somebody says, well, this is what's wrong with you, we get offended. Are you perfect? Or is there something wrong with you? You can't have it both ways. But pride doesn't like being told we're sinners. Naaman didn't like being told, why don't you just do what you're told and see what happens. And so if I can be like Naaman's servant, tonight and simply say it's not a hard thing what have you got to lose what have you got to lose very quickly in conclusion my wife sister katarina if you will take these guys and help them get ready to be baptized please the bible gives this formula no other the apostolic church adhered to this formula baptism is burial with christ and no one else baptism is personal identification with christ and his name identifies us as his possession at baptism we take on our new family name as part you know the the jews have a thing where they they use the word bar b-a-r so it was uh you know so-and-so bar so-and-so meant you were their son so my my name i guess if i was a jew would be simon bar david because my dad's name is david when you're born again you take on an extra name you didn't have before no matter how many are on your birth certificate, there's another one that you, there's a, there's a family that you become a part of that you weren't a part of before. Now, I wouldn't advise writing that on the checkbook when you go to the bank or filling out paperwork, but spiritually, when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you take on another name. You take on the name of God's spiritual family. Baptism is for the remission or forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the only name that has that power to take away sin. That name represents all the power and all the authority of God. It is that name that heals the sick, that casts out demons, that delivers people, and it's, so it's that name that takes sins away as well. Bible says that everything we do in word or deed needs to be done in that name. Baptism is both a word and a deed. It's an action with words involved. Amen. The name of Jesus is the highest name known to man, and every knee must bow to that name. On and on I could go. And in view of all the important things that baptism in Jesus' name signifies, why would we refuse to be baptized in the only saving name? If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. Why tarry us there? What are you waiting for? Well, I mean, what what good reason is there to wait? And Paul stood before the I think it was Agrippa and Felix and some of those leaders that he stood before when he was on his way to Rome. And one of them said to him, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He said, Paul, you're really convincing. He said, you've almost persuaded me. He said, I'll send for you at a convenient season. When is it more convenient than right now to be ready for heaven? Oh, it's not convenient to me to be saved from my sins right now. That's going to be one of the most foolish statements that anybody could ever make. Why tarry us there? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins in the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask our music team to come. They're going to just lead us in some worship as we get ready to do this baptism this evening.